Hello, my name is Hugh Agra. I'm the president and CEO of Revival Gold. And joining me are John Mayer, our VP Engineering and Development, and Steve Priestmeyer, our VP Exploration. John and Steve are both uh, outstanding professionals in the mining business, and I know that you're going to enjoy uh, hearing from the Merlin and about our recent uh, update to the resource at uh, Bear Track Arnett. Of course, this is our flagship project in the eastern uh, part of Idaho in the uh, western United States. Uh, we've grown the resource to now 4 million ounces of gold. We're moving ahead with additional drilling, and we will have a PFS out on the project uh, here by uh, year end. Hugh, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, John, Steve, very nice to meet you. I look forward to kind of getting into the, uh, talking to you and getting into the detail of the project. Um, and and my goodness, as a team, what a, what progress you've made. Um, Hugh, perhaps as a starter, could you just um, restate the kind of the headline figures from the from from the resource uh, statement or kind of the, the, the latest news release? I know you've just said you've kind of got four million ounces um, in your kind of total resource, but could you just kind of break that down a little bit? Yeah, for sure. This came out uh, May 16th, so it's just hot off the press. Uh, 2.1 million ounces of indicated resource. Uh, that's a 56% increase in the indicator resource for Revival Gold. And in the inferred category, a further 1.9 million ounces, uh, almost a 20% increase in the inferred resource. We've also got an underground component to this resource. And by bringing up the uh, cutoff grade, we've now taken that resource uh, grade up by 39%. So big headline number increases. For uh, for the project now, there's um there there are so many so many aspects to the revival gold story. You've kind of got these these two different resource bases. You've got um uh, a plan to develop an, a heap leach, a kind of an open leach, open pit heap leach project. You've got some deep high grade stuff. You've got some mixed. You know, there, there, there's lots of different moving parts which um, take a while for for me as the reader to to figure out. So I wonder if you can just break things down for me. Can we just focus on the PFS at the moment and what you're studying in that PFS? Well, yes, we do have a very large resource. It's very tempting to contemplate a bigger project for Bear Track Arnett with 4 million ounces of gold. And, uh, and But what we've decided to do is focus in on a more manageable first phase of the project. We have existing infrastructure on the site, including a gold processing facility, roads, power to site, uh, solution ponds, all of these things that can be redeployed to begin producing cash flow in this uh, cycle in gold. And so that's what we're doing. And we're moving forward on this uh, PFS. Of course, we've completed a PEA in 2020. And with this updated resource, we now have the foundation to draw a pit that will be a leach uh, only pit. And we'll uh, take advantage of that existing infrastructure to produce somewhere in the order of 70,000 ounces a year of gold relatively modest, but for relatively uh, modest amount of capital as well. As we continue to grow in the exploration and, um, and, and build out for that larger mill phase of the project. Okay, so in that heat leach project, 70,000 ounces per annum, um, just looking at my notes, uh, <laughs> I, I have to refer to my notes because there's so, many, there's so much data. Um, <clears throat> you've got about, um, is it, am I right in thinking, is it, 290,000 ounces in the 390,000 ounces in the open pit heat leach in the indicated category with another 100,000 ounces in the inferred category so you've got about um half a million ounces just um just under half a million ounces in your heat leach plan which you're going to be 
you know, that's kind of a seven sevens of 49. So you're, it's, it's more or less kind of a seven year mind life. Is that, is, is that roughly what you're going to be studying? Yeah, I'll ask uh, John to chime in here for, for a moment. But uh, just, just the headline here, um, our last uh, study on the heap leach phase of the project encompassed about 850,000 ounces. And I think we're going to, when we redo the pit for the heap leach phase of this project, uh, as part of that PFS step, I think we're going to get close to about a million ounces. So we're looking at something uh, north of seven years mine life, uh, plus or minus uh, 70,000 ounces a year of gold. And what's really exciting about this, as I tried to mention earlier, is we are reusing existing infrastructure. So it'll uh, improve on our capital estimates. John, do you want to pick up on any of those themes? Sure. I, I think the delta that you're seeing there, uh, Merlin, between the million ounces that he was talking about and the half million that you, you see in the resource update, um, the delta really comes from the fact that there's lots of uh, ounces in the middle there that are both uh, leachable ounces and, um, you know, millable ounces. And so okay. when you see the resource that we have now, we optimized, uh, the numbers are optimized on what, um, what, what is the highest block value for a, for a, for a given uh, amount of material. And so there are certainly a lot more material that do fall in that leachable category. Um, so that, that's, that's where you see the difference between those two numbers. Okay, thank you. And just on, on those different approaches, you know, you've got the, you've got the bear track kind of linear feature and then you've got the arnet kind of which has got Haiti off to one side and there's a split between where those leachable ounces come from but I, I noticed that you've got when you, when you talk about recoveries on, on the news release that you that you put out in um, a few weeks ago those recoveries of 90 percent from the acid soluble gold from from bear track and yet when when it comes to arnet it talks about 75 percent recovery I just um, can you explain how you've you know how you've calculated the gold content? Have you done acid soluble gold content on that shear structure, and have you done a kind of a contained gold on the different geology? And actually, this is going to lead into a question to Steve about you know what is the difference between the geologies of the two two various various um, sections? But um, perhaps first on the kind of the, the recoveries and metallurgical, you know, where the material is coming from, and how that how you've worked on that. That'd be really helpful. I think fundamentally, we have both um, fire assay and cyanide soluble models developed. I think the, okay. the, the, the bottom line, uh, however, is that, you know, that our net uh, based on the metallurgical test work uh, is an oxide. It's, it's very, very low sulfide, sulfur uh, values in rock. And um, the leach work that we've done to date, the, the, the lab test work we've done to date is really focused on um, comparing uh, the results against fire assay and, and, and our database is stronger when it comes to fire assay and consequently for the Arnett deposit, um, it, it's just we have higher confidence in comparing those uh, leach um, estimates against the fire assay relative to the cyanide. You know, bear track is, is, is a different beast. And so um, we, we, we know we have those uh, categories of oxide transition and sulfide and so you really have to look to the cyanide soluble assays in order to predict leachable recoveries. Um, whereas Arnett um, 
we have more confidence in the fire assay database and as it relates to the metallurgical testing. So, so Arnett leaches really easily and therefore you can use the fire assay as a guide and you can say, right, we're going to get 75% of that. Whereas on Arnett, because the metallic, sorry, on bear track, on that, the, the, the shear structure, because the geology is, or the mineralogy is more complex, you have to start by understanding what the acid-soluble gold content is and then take a kind of a recovery from that and you use 90% of that basis. Exactly. Is that right? Okay, and good. And um, the, uh, the, the grades, so the, your overall resource grade that you put out is about one gram a ton gold. And is it 0.6 grams gold or 0.59 that comes into the heat leach? And is that difference a function of primary geology or the acid-soluble um, uh, factor? The, um, it, it bear track, the bear uh, the gold occurs in um, fine-grained um, sulfides, primarily arsenic, pyrite, and pyrite. It's only oxidized down to a certain level, and below that, it's all sulfide. Um, <clears throat> so the gold is um, fine-grained and only partially liberated in the um, transitional zone. In our net, the oxidation is complete down to the depth that we've drilled so far. Uh, so the gold occurs primarily as native gold and iron oxides. And I, I, Merlin, I would just uh, I would just add that um, one of the things about this team is we've actually taken the step of not only modeling the grade of each block, but also the metallurgy of each block. So there isn't an assumption of a transition zone and some uh, topographical surface that represents a, an interface. We've got uh, metallurgical data for each block, and that allows us to do more precision and more accuracy and reduced risk in our, our modeling exercise around uh, recoveries. The other thing I just want to point out, of course, this is a historic mine, the largest former uh, producer of gold in the state of Idaho. And so we've got all of that data and that operating experience. And in fact, we've got the general manager who ran the operation uh, back in, in the uh, 90s. So uh, we have that expertise to be really understand how best to optimize the resource at Bear Track and the satellite deposit at Arnett is, as the guys have explained, oxide and uh, so much more, um, uh, much more uh, attractive to us for expansion potential and building on the uh, overall uh, economics of the project as we pursue exploration there. On the other hand, at Bear Track, of course, we've got these high grades. And we've got this phenomenal um, uh, opportunity in the Jawstone where we're developing out high-grade underground potential. So they are two different uh, animals, uh, but it's complementary in the sense that we're able to leverage the same infrastructure. Quick, quick question to you, Hugh, directly. Um, what, was the, what was the historic recovery uh, when, the, when the mine was operating in the 90s? 70%. Okay. Okay, that's... that's uh, um... That's it's always a good yardstick to, to yeah, have that in mind. Was, and our PA was modeled on an average of 60%. So you can get a sense here of the level of conservatism in our, in our, uh, in our approach. Yeah, yeah, great. I, I, I will, um, Hugh, I will get onto the, the high grade potential in the gel zone. I, I, I am interested in the kind of the, the bigger resource, um, but I'm also just, I'm, I'm still kind of curious about the heat bleach operation. And I'm gonna come back to John and ask him questions about the, the, the process plant, but just, just on the geology, um, Steve, the, um, you've got a drilling program starting up uh, with some RC holes going into the Arnett area, the targets around Haiti and the other, you know, um, that kind of 
northwestern part of the concession areas you're going to be targeting. Um, how is the geology related? Um, you know, is the gold part of the same system? Did it come up a structure and did it head out to Haiti on some flat-lying geology? You know, what's the spatial or the kind of the, the, the relationship between the gold on that main shear zone and the gold so the sub, um, uh, almost, almost flat-lying um, Haiti zone? That's a good question, and that's something we're still trying to come up with a, a good answer to. Um, the, the two deposits are slightly different ages. Our NIT's a little bit older than Bear Track, um, but they, for, they seem to have formed in the same structural environment. So, Bear Track is a, the, the uh, Panther Creek shear zone is part of a regional structure with about 90 kilometers of strike, which we call the Coiner Fault. And, and the, the Panther Creek shear zone is either a, a jog in that fault or it's a, um, a transfer structure, a structure along which the motion was, was transferred. Um, we have right lateral strike slip movement along that, which is consistent with the regional geology. So we have um, compression pushing to the, the Northeast in, in, in the Arnett area or in Haiti, we have a, series of structures that are dipping moderately to the southwest, which we interpret to be a, a reverse fault um, in that um, regime where you have compression to the, to the northeast. Um, there's very little outcrop out here, so, so the structural interpretation is based on a few outcrops and geophysics and, and a certain amount of uh, geological, I'll call it intuition instead of guesswork. Um, but uh, they do appear to fit into the same structural regime, even though the geology of the deposits themselves is quite different. And at so, so I'm looking at the map in front of me, and I can see the northeast southwest striking, very clear subvertical Panther Creek shear. And then if I look over to the Haiti zone, and I can see you know, twin long drops, and that's a good name, by the way, um, <laughs> Italian mine and Roman's trench. <laughs> Um, are those, you're saying that those are somehow, uh, the, 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 the structural zones, which are kind of um, shallowly dipping to the south, southwest, um, is, are they in a preferential, is it, is it a rheological contrast? Are they in some kind of preferential geology to, to, uh, to, to host these kind of thick zones? The only, the only structure that we have good um, information for in the third dimension is Haiti. Some of the other targets have had some RC drilling, but that doesn't really help much with structural orientations. Um, all of these targets, um, the only one that we can see for sure dips moderately to the southwest. There are two trends along here. Um, one is the trend that goes through um, Roman's Trench up into the Haiti zone. That is along the northern margin of the um, Arnett intrusive complex which is a, okay. a number of intrusive complex. The, yeah. the, other, the other trend is to the south, um, and that goes through the, the Italian mine and over towards Twin Long Drops and on up to Shannon Gulch and so forth. We're not sure what's controlling these because there really isn't a rheological contrast or a lithological contrast. For example, all of the mineralization in Haiti occurs in one lithology. It's part of the Arnett intrusive complex. We call it the crowded porphyry. Um, so what's controlling the locations of these structures 
isn't that quite that cut and dried, or at least not as cut and dried as we'd like it to be. What are you using as your kind of your principal um, vector for your drilling campaign? You've got, uh, I know you've got some infill drilling f- um, to come ahead, but you, you've in the press release you talk about seven thousand meters of drilling. So presumably, uh, there's somewhere between three thousand and five thousand meters that's kind of coming into this area. Is is that the ballpark? Yeah, I mean, you can see that some of the, the target areas on this map have been, have been uh, sort of circled with dashed lines. We're going primarily on the, on the soil geochemistry, but we've also um, integrated geophysics, some air mag that we did, in addition to some historical geophysics that we reprocessed, and also the rock sampling and mapping. So we're using these um, in conjunction with all the other data that we have to try to orient the RC drilling uh, to test these areas. I see you're using ionic leach um, geochemistry. Is that to kind of pick up some of the kind of the deeper signals? Yeah, the, we use the, um, the equivalent of uh, uh, MMI on this because there, some of the areas are covered. For example, that Midlands area is covered by younger tertiary rocks. So in order to be able to try to see through that cover, we decided to go with the partial leach. Okay. Yeah, I noticed the till over on your sections of the Arnett area. Some of the till um, horizons are quite substantial. You know, kind of one, two hundred meters. Yeah, it's not all till. The upper layer is till. Then there are tertiary um, conglomerates and sandstones and volcanics and so forth in that in that material. That's a drop and over And um, what's your drill budget for the um, Arnett area? Yeah, it's, it's approximately uh, two and a half million uh, across our net and approximately two million uh, at the Joss area of Bear Track, roughly. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was, I was, I was thinking in meters, but I can... Um, ah, <laughs> meters is roughly 2,000 oh. meters at Joss and the balance on the Arnett project with about 3,000 of that uh, being core and, and about uh, 3,000 of that being RC. Okay. Is RC going to work well in this area? I mean, I... I, I, just a question. I don't know. Um, you know, if you've got oxide gold, yeah, I, I guess you'll be checking it with the, the with the diamond core. But that's something you're going to have to be careful of, isn't it? Yeah, uh, there's there are 220 RC holes in our net. Okay. Um, we use that for prospecting. We don't use that for resource estimation because yeah. there is a part in it. And, and with this RC drilling, we're using this primarily for prospecting. And when we find areas that um, are interesting to us. We'll go back in with core drilling in the next drilling campaign and, and test some of those areas. So top targets? Uh, the RC drilling will start later in the summer. Um, we, we've got to wait for the snow to, to melt up there and the, and the roads to dry out. We're starting at Bear Track um, this week. Okay. Let wow, we've uh, still, still got snow. Well, it's mostly gone, but in the trees, there's a bit of snow left, and it takes the road a long time to dry out. Yeah. But we'll be good by the end of June. Yeah. Just, to, just to orientate you here, this is the 5.6 kilometers of strike in the main bear track trend that Steve pointed out earlier. Mm-hmm. And the area that we've been focusing for resource development is here in the Joss area. I'll let's Steve, speak to the next uh, slide or two, but just just to narrow in a little bit on why we're going right back into Joss. That's where, of course, the end of last year, we intersected some 12 grams over 14 meters and another nine grams over 12 meters, uh, right 
here with uh, drill hole 240 and the deposit, which is shown in the block model uh, in gold shading here is still open. I mean, it's open to the south, it's open uh, to the uh, depth. In fact, it's open across this whole 5.6 kilometers of strike. And mm. um, we're just drill constrained. Um, Stephen, can you go back to that slide for just a second? I just want to point out the continuity of the mineralization along that, that five plus kilometers of strike. Since I've been working on the project and we started up at the same time in 2017, every hole that we've drilled that's intersected the Panther Creek shear zone is intersected mineralization. There are some areas where the grade is lower and, and the structure is narrower as you would expect, but every hole has been mineralized and you can see that in the block model here. I think that's mm -hmm. important to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really impressive. Um, I, you've also, I don't know if it's in, on this slide deck, but you've also got the, 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 the way that the resource evol um, evolves over the, um, the last four or five years from 2018 to 2020 to 2022, you know, showing how the, 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 the resource has grown as you completed the drilling and kind of filled out the that, that, that drill spacing. Hugh, I mean, this is, this is, I guess, one for you and one for John, really. Um, there we go. That's that's the image. You know, that's that's a great image. You know, that's a that's a that's a big growth in um, resources over uh, four years. And, um, and and Merlin, you know, I really do want to toot uh, uh, Steve Priestmeyer's horn here because, as he pointed out, uh, Steve was involved in putting this land position together in the first place. Dates right back to the first governor of the state of Idaho. It's fascinating, and there's been over five million ounces of gold produced or discovered in this location. And yet so few people really had known about it. And, um, and we've put it on the map as an orogenic gold system, one of those big uh, pervasive gold systems that underpin um, a number of the world's largest gold projects producing mines. And the discovery rate on this uh, project over the last four uh, years is running $5 an ounce, less than $5 an ounce. Uh, and it's not because drilling costs are cheaper in the United States. In fact, they are very expensive in the United States and we're using core and we're using, uh, uh, we're using uh, PQ core. So it, it's not that, it's that this team is working efficiently and this deposit is, as Steve's trying to point out earlier, very, um, very giving. Chapeau, Steve, you know, good work. And, um, you know, that picture in itself just tells a fantastic story. I guess the question for, for, for Hugh, really, and the board is, you know, you've got this big resource. And I think I spoke about this the first time we, I, I, I spoke yeah. to you. you know, it's, 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 you know, what do you do? You know, how do you skin this particular cat? Because a million ounces in a heap leach project is a good target. You know, if you can, if you can produce 70,000 ounces at a decent margin for 10 years, that's a that's a good result, but it, you know that that requires a focus and a and a and an energy and a budget, and if you're going to try and define an underground resource because that's effectively what that orogenic gold system would be, you want to make sure that you've got the high grade drilled out, you've got the drill density in there and tight enough so that you can um, be confident about 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 a high grade. It's kind of three grams a ton at the moment, but you know you'll be chasing the high grade roots um, shoots. Um, you're going to be wanting to build up the tons of the high-grade material 
quicker than you do of the lower grade material. So, you know, it's that's a drill intensive approach and that's a different strategy. Almost kind of, um, it, it, you know, Hugh, what's, what's, what's the, is that an ongoing discussion that you're getting all the time at the board level? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's a, um, it's a have your cake and eat it too kind of a moment. And it's very rare in the mining industry where you get this opportunity for a modest amount of capital to put something into production and then to have a, a second, third, maybe fourth phase of, uh, of growth that's in, in your pipeline. We've got a built-in pipeline of opportunity to deliver value for our shareholders. Now, the mining industry over the last 20 years has made a hell of a lot of mistakes in tackling a big project on a, on a one-step basis. And, uh, you know, John can elaborate on some of his experience with the likes of Barrick and others uh, uh, developing out a concept that is a one-step process to build um, a large mine. And maybe if we were um, capitalized uh, as some of our larger peers, uh, we would take that approach. But I think the industry's learned something. And I think we've we're gonna take a page from the Australians who take a more uh, pragmatic approach and say, let's get that first phase going. And we'll use that expertise and the cash flow that's generated from that first phase to develop ongoing phases. And yep. what's sort of coming back to your question, what's so great about this project, and it's really one of the things that brought it, brought us to this project, of all the places we could have gone in the world, why here? Because we've got this infrastructure we can leverage. We've got this first phase uh, that we can put into production. Our PA capital is a modest $100 million. And, and even if it grows as a result of inflationary pressures over the last uh, couple of years, we're not talking about any large items. There's no big port to build. There's no power line to construct. And that gives us a relatively low risk opportunity to produce free cash flow, an estimated $50 million a year of free cash flow at 1750 gold from a market cap currently of current, you know, something in the order of um, uh, 40, 40, -ish 40, 40 US. Yeah. So, so this is an opportunity for us. Now, that's not to say that there isn't uh, a lot of folks who are looking at us as uh, an interesting 4 million ounce potential, 150,000 ounce a year, 20-year uh, mine life opportunity. There are, and we certainly entertain their interest. Uh, but our focus is on uh, trying to manage the dilution in our shareholder share structure, uh, currently only 86 million shares outstanding and continue to show value in that larger opportunity. Um, and we can come to show you some of that, um, that program, but it doesn't necessarily involve drilling out um, a defined proven and probable reserve. Uh, what it means is showing the potential for that. And uh, yeah. we'll continue to do that. Yeah, great. Um, Hugh, thank you. That's, that, that helps a lot. Um, John, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, the, the ADR plant, um, can you just, for the, for, for the viewers, just remind people what the process is in a heat leach operation? You know, what happens to the, to the rocks once it's been mined? Where does it go and what happens to it? Sure. So after the, after the material is uh, hauled, uh, it's hauled to a crusher, um, a cone crusher, and there'll be, there'll be two stages of crushing. Um, and we'll crush to somewhere uh, around an inch and a half to two inch uh, diameter. Um, and then we'll, we'll stack uh, the, uh, the crushed ore uh, on, a, on, a, on a heap leach pad. It's a synthetic lined um, pad. 
and we'll irrigate that, uh, that ore with a dilute uh, cyanide um, solution. We'll, we'll collect uh, what starts off as obviously a barren solution. We'll collect the pregnant solution. And then um, from, from there, it reports to the, um, the ADR plant. Uh, there, there is an existing ADR plant uh, there. Um, we're expecting that our uh, throughput would be uh, very similar uh, to the previous operation, which was um, they, they operated on the order of 12 to 15,000 metric uh, tons per day. And that's what the existing ADR plant is sized for. That, that, that plant is going to need uh, some upgrades. Uh, of course, the, the, the building and much of the infrastructure is there. Some of the, the, the equipment uh, within that, uh, particularly refinery-related uh, equipment, has, has been taken out and, and sold. Um, but, um, you know, the, the CapEx is, is, is modest um, relative to what the assets are we have there. The, 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 the ponds are all still there, both from the pregnant solution perspective and, uh, and stormwater management. You know, the, all, all of those things are real assets uh, because mm. they take a long time to develop. Um, yeah. in, in construction, those, those things, especially the overall water management uh, um, um, systems, that, that's the first thing you do when you try to get on site, get going well, and roads and power. Well, those things are all uh, already there. So uh, it also, it's a, those, those assets are also capital risk uh, reduction um, components. So we, we really benefit uh, from that. Um, so, and you know, one kind of, uh, you know, sleeper, there, there's also an existing water treatment plant there that operates. Uh, we have, uh, um, you know, Meridian Bear Track has a, an active um, NPDS or, a, you know, a, a discharge permit. They know how, they know the treatment technology or get to meet that um, discharge. And, and that system is, is active. Uh, and those are all assets for us moving forward because they relate to permitting, they relate to construction, they relate to all, all those, uh, the, the, the entire package. So I... Yeah. John, thank you. When, 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 when one looks at the bigger picture of kind of a million ounces that potentially could report to the, to the leach pads, the majority of that's going to come from um, bear track. And the, you know, one quarter, one third, or whatever the number is, is going to come from Arnett, which Steve was telling us earlier is um, much more amenable to cyanide leaching. So the question I'm just wondering, I'm just, just curious about is, have you thought about doing some um, agglomerations some pre-treatment on the, on the bear track resource? Because, um, I mean, effectively, at some point, when you get to 700,000 ounces, at some point, there's going to be a metallurgical catalyst to switch from the heap leach to the mill. You know, there's going to be a decision point that you're going to have to make. It's going to be more cost effective to spend a bit more money to get the recovery on, on the tons. And just the question is, I've got for you is, have you done any um, pre-treatment work? Or are you thinking of doing pre-treatment work? I know um, sodium leach or chloride leach or whatever it is, is on the on the bear track uh, mixed oxide sulfide transition material that would enable you to expand or extend your your heat bleach mine life i just want to jump jump in here merlin um you know you're 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 highlighting a a very top of mind topic for us because of course the mill recovers uh or the heat bleach recovers you know 60 70 percent of the gold in situ um in place 
and the mill recovers 95% of the gold. Now, the thing about this is though, that no matter what we do in terms of a first phase project, uh, down the road when we build a mill, uh, we can still recover that other 20, 30% of the gold by reprocessing that material uh, through a mill. And, and uh, so the gold isn't lost, it's just in inventory for a while until we get a, a, a mill constructed. And um, again, that's one of the benefits of this two-phase approach. But sorry, coming back to your question, and, and John can answer it uh, more, more succinctly, but um, it's a very interesting trade-off. And, um, you know, because we've got, we could take a shorter mine life in heat bleach and then roll right into a smaller mill. So maybe there's a, a plan, you know, a phase 1B where we've got a smaller mill and we're, we're, we're processing higher grade sulfides and, uh, and some of the transition material. Uh, over to you, John. I know that this is uh, top of mind for you. And this is one of the reasons why we're so fortunate to have John. Um, and again, just, just, just to toot John's horn for a second, this is a guy who's worked 30 years in the business across some of the largest, most complex gold projects in the world, including for Barrick and Kinross and others, um, and is very familiar with this question and this, this kind of problem and optimizing it. Well, I'm going to chip in before you speak, John, just to say that there's been so much um, change and reagents and kind of the, the understanding of how heat leaches work and kind of pretreatments in the last 30 years so that, you know, the, the recoveries from 30 years ago may not represent what you can potentially get going forward. So I just... Um, Having interjected, John, over to you. Sorry for the interruption. Oh, I, you know, you've hit on uh, a topic that certainly um, we're thinking about. It's taking a lot of time to think about it because, um, you know, there's there's real value uh, left in in the rock that we've leached. Um, but but clearly, um, you know, getting off the ground with a leach is advantageous for us. And, and, and then you're right, there's going to be a transition where we want to move to a recovery method that really realizes the value uh, in the rock. And, and, and so, yeah, um, you know, Hugh's right. We, we would, uh, but, but that said, you, you've got to be careful. You, you, you don't want to be trying to uh, um, reprocess material that, that you've already gotten 80 or 90% recovery out of. You, you want to segregate the material that's reporting into the heat so that you're smart about knowing where that uh, unlocked value is uh, that that you didn't uh, that you didn't take advantage of. But you know the 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 nice thing about um, a lot of the you know refractory uh, recovery methods that we're looking at there's there's nothing that we did in the heap leach, as in crush grind leach that that ultimately we don't benefit from. When, we, when you then uh, process those materials via refractory methods. And why that is, is, well, if you took away the refractory uh, or the leachable piece, then what's left truly is refractory. And, and we've, our, our metallurgical uh, information um, tells us that that material floats uh, very well and, and we, we achieve good concentration levels um, with refractory methods. And those good concentration levels are very important for every refractory method, whether it's Pox or Albion or Biox or, or, or potentially others. Um, and, and then we're dealing with a much smaller uh, amount of material to deal with when it comes to that subsequent processing. And, and you get to a place where maybe leaching the tails, which some operations do, uh, well, we've already leached it. So we don't really need to do that. Uh, so again, we benefit from that. And, 
does, does, does that fit into a smaller high-grade underground operation to reprocess some of those um, leached material? Well, I, I, we think it does. And, and so there's a right fit and a right scale for that. Thank you. That's really interesting. And have you looked at a pretreatment to um, before the heap um, to tackle that component of the of the gold, which is let's kind of in inverted commas harder to reach or refractory? Well, in terms of pretreatment, um, if if you're referring to kind of a sulfide leach approach, something like um, Chesapeake is doing as an example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we haven't started any test work on that side of things. Um, it, it's not to say that we're not keeping that on the table, um, you know, but we haven't started any test work. That, that is a little different beast. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, with what, they're, what they're trying to do there and what they've been trying to do at, uh, at other operations like this. Um, John, what about, um, so what about uh, looking at different crush sizes for the heap leach or uh, is there any is there any advantage in terms of additions to the material before it goes on the heap? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, in terms of the you know uh, crush size, I don't think we get a lot of benefit going much beyond about an inch and a half. It's just not uh, we don't we don't see uh, it really meaningfully improved leach recoveries, which is which is good to be honest uh, because because of this course. It, 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 it takes away a, a, you know, percolation issue, uh, you know, the finer you have to go, it creates problems. Um, I, I don't think we've seen uh, that uh, we would benefit or need to agglomerate. That's an additional cost as well that, yep. that uh, we don't see that we, we benefit from. So if you're talking about a pretreatment that would, that would further uh, oxidize um, the sulfides, um, you know, that, that's not something we've started to test yet. Um, it, it is uh, potentially an option. You just, the, the challenge with that, Merlin, is that if you try to oxidize a leach, um, you, you will, uh, you unlock not only the gold, but you unlock a lot of other things along the, along the way that you got to be very mindful of. And that's, yeah. So, so um, you, you've got to be cautious about uh, trying to oxidize. Uh, yeah, um, John, thank you. You've answered the question perfectly. It's, um, I was wondering about that kind of stuff, but you've, you've hinted at the arsen um, the arsenic and the ore, um, the pretreatment approaches, the, the fact that it's still kind of untested in the gold sector and Chesapeake are kind of trying to do that. It's, I'm, I've, I've seen it working quite well in the copper sector, but probably without the um, the same mix of uh, elements in the in in the ore um, or in the mineral in the, in the in the rock assemblage. Now that's great. Thank you. Um, I'm I, I'm I'm feeling really um, up to date. I'm feeling kind of quite a, a, a lot clearer about the approach and the project that you've managed to educate me much more in um, in forty minutes than than. Um, I knew about before, which is great. Um, Hugh, perhaps could you just talk me through the kind of the rest of the year in terms of news flow and what are the kind of the key milestones that you'll be looking to give to the market? And then I've got a few other questions, few, a few more questions for you. Okay, well, I, I can't help but show you this slide, uh, which is the block model in the Joss area at Bear Track. And that's where we're drilling, uh, starting up here pretty soon. We'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a release out on the start of drilling in the Joss area. 
Um, you can see in the magenta, the five gram plus blocks here. Um, Steve, maybe you could just quickly explain why we're, why we're so excited about the potential here at depth. Well, obviously you can see that there's a large concentration, excuse me, plus five gram material there. And it's open at depth and it's going to continue at depth. We've right now got mineralization over 750 meters vertically within the system. And the, the mineralization is either vertical or plunging gently to the, the, the high grades are plunging either vertical or plunging gently to the south. Uh, so we're going to take that approach and go vertically right below hole 240, which you can see there on the right, and then step yep. off to the south to try to pick that up. Um, but if you go back and look at that other slide for just a moment, something that I think uh, is important uh, to recognize here, which is that there, there are, in, in the areas where we don't have mineralization shown on here, it's not because there's no mineralization. It's because of lack of drilling. And we have no reason to believe that if we were to drill in those areas, we wouldn't fill those areas in. And that's really quite encouraging. Sorry, um, in the sections, you showed that the, the high grade was kind of cut off. And in the, in the long section, in the block model, there was a very kind of clear linear top to the five gram block. That, but presumably above that, that's, um, that's unmineralized. No, the mineralization continues up to that erosional surface. Um, which th that's the, uh, the eastern margin of the drop that I mentioned before. And in that structure is, well, it's pretty, pretty steep, pretty close to vertical. You can see the distance between the, the uh, projected contact between the overburden and the yellow jacket, which is the YY, uh, and the drill hole. And, and all of that is going to be mineralized. It's just, we just don't have any drill holes in there. If you go back and look at the longitudinal section, you'll see that all of these, the three drill holes that are down south are all in approximately the same orientation, or I mean, sorry, the same elevation. So if we were to step up and drill above those, we would expect to get mineralization up to that contact. Okay. So, so you potentially got, I don't know, uh, tens, possibly up to a hundred meters of kind of additional mineralization above the top of that nice high grade block. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. And and um, at depth, there's no indications that it's 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 dying out. In fact, possibly um, to the contrary. Yeah, it seems to be. It seems to be um, the grade seems to be picking up actually at jobs. We always now, say that exploration geologists, but in this case, it seems to be true. <laughs> there are sections to the north, and you can see how pervasive this system is. Um, uh, and you can see we've got an intersection below the block model shown in purple shading, um, all of this is open at depth. Yeah. Uh, eight meters of five grams uh, with um, 31 meters of 2.5 grams. Uh, on a section even further north, Steve, I think you drilled in 2017, was it, is it Waldgrave or Waldgrave? You drilled um, 70 grams over nine meters or something. That was a hole drilled in 2012 by Meridian in the Ward's Gulch area. Um, in 2017, we, we offset that um, at about the same elevation. We hit the structure, but, but the grades weren't, uh, we didn't hit those kind of grades. Okay. Um, and we haven't gone back in there because we want to really understand what's controlling those grades uh, like that because 
the holes are expensive and we don't want to just go in there and start drilling all around it. That, that gets to be expensive. So to that end, we're, we're uh, contracting structural geologists to come in and help us uh, understand the controls on the high grade. And it, you're seeing kind of polyphase kind of mineralizing events up the structure, brecciation, fracturing, kind of high... Multiple phases. Um, when, you, when you look at the, the drill core, you can see in some cases, you can see six or seven cross-cutting events. Uh, the higher grade, that as Hughes pointed out a couple of times, you have broad intervals of lower grade, and within those, you have these narrower high-grade zones, and those narrower high-grade zones appear to be younger than the broader zones. And so there's multiple uh, events in here. Nice, nice big system, big and juicy. Merlin, this is a uh, this is you know a lot of similarities between this project or from an orientation and from a processing point of view to what we see at the Kittle operation in Finland that uh, that, that uh, Agnico's running, and these bonanza style grades that you know like like this very high grade intercept at Words Gulch is not unlike what you see in a very similar system at Fosterville, right? Where where you've got yeah. a, a broad uh, uh, lower grade, and then they got into these higher grades. We just don't know what we're going to find at depth. We've only drilled this thing down at, at you know 600 meters depth. Um, there's lots more potential. The Joss area, we're only talking about 350 meters deep, and uh, with these kinds of grades, it it, it will carry on. Um, we just got to uh, put the drill holes into it, and uh, that's what starts next week, uh, I believe. Uh, and well, that, that, well, that segues neatly into the plan for the year. Um, Hugh, kind of give us the kind of the the the, the headline elements that we could be looking out for. So drilling, uh, drilling, drilling, <laughs> but at the same time, we're also doing uh, engineering studies in preparation for a PFS. Of course, we want to take that heat bleach project through to PFS, and that will kickstart our uh, repermitting of the site uh, as we nail down the footprint of the plan. And um, of course, we're doing a bunch of uh, baseline supplemental baseline work as well. Uh, this season. So a lot of work streams going on that will dovetail into 2023 when we have uh, more def definition around the project, the economics, and the path fo forward for uh, construction. Um, and uh, we've got about 9.1 million of cash. So we've got uh, lots of cash to work with. We've got the team in place and uh, really excited about the season ahead. Uh, Hugh, thank you. That's that's great. Yeah. So if, if the PFS is coming out uh, out at the end of the year, it's 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 a it's a drilling drilling fest until then. Good and very strange markets. Um, you know, the whole GDX, the whole gold space has just taken a, a massive beating, and yet the gold price is still bouncing around between eighteen hundred and nineteen hundred. Um, I think it was eighteen forty five just before we started this interview. And the, you know, the 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 the, um, the revival share price is down twenty percent. From its high, or well, from its March high, and you know it's at fifty-six cents now. Just kind of, could I mean, your comments on the market as in general be would be quite interesting. Yeah, I, it's a, it is a tough market, um, but I think those companies that are financed and that are working in good locations in the world will uh, persevere. And you know, one of the attractions of this project is we've you know we've got people who are local to to the town and to the country we're working in. We don't have to worry about flying people in from all over the place. Um, and they have the professional skills to take this project forward. We've got the capital to do it. So yes, choppy times in the junior sector right now. I actually think this is opportunity for uh, companies like the, us that are in a strong position with a strong team and with a cash balance 
40% institutional shareholder ownership. Uh, that gives us an opportunity to look around and see what might uh, else be out there for uh, this team to take on. Um, and um, I think it spells opportunity, both in terms of our, our program and our ability to attract people, but also our opportunity to bring in inorganic uh, uh, opportunities for, for our shareholders. So it's, it's a tough time, but it's a one to position. It's a time to make uh, hay, I think, in this business. Well, on that note, um, I think I'll say thank you very much to you and to the team. Um, John, Steve, um, a pleasure talking to you. And um, I look forward to catching up during the year to come. Great. Thank you, Merlin. It's a pleasure.